Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by tracy pearson tracy how the heck are you hi dave how are you i'm great how do i sound dave you sound crystal clear i do don't i yeah you sound amazing Mm, that's you know i i got a podcast quality microphone now yeah what what should we call you we should call you tracy like tracy honeythroat pearson hey dave how you doing yeah Honeythroat, that doesn't sound very good. You know, all, everyone was always um, complaining about when we were typing? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Just watch this. Watch. Just just wait, Dave. It, it, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you hear it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I ever want to really torture listeners, I'm just going to type. You know what was funny? You remember back in the day when they would have the full press conferences on Mondays? Um, yeah. during football season yeah i remember and you, that that was and you'd, fun you'd video it and i remember the comments oh. being like who is that typing who is that typing <laughs> and who it was everyone i'm gonna take you behind the curtain was tracy pearson tracy pearson is a powerful typer he types he types yeah. with 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 um with verve with energy verve. Yeah. yeah um i've literally had people like if i'm typing in public they go you certainly are a very powerful typer yeah no a powerful powerful typer um no there's no way to transition from powerful type are you not do you like just barely touch are you like really delicate day are you i just touch the keys the way uh the way you should okay i'll I'll work on it well no it's it's, i want to try to keep improving i i i never had to type on a typewriter at any point like that's really what that is. Oh, so it's it's an age. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's it, no, no, no. It's it's an experience thing, not age, not age. <laughs> hey, you know, I had a type on a typewriter that uh, that was not electric. My typewriter at UCLA was not electric. That's what I'm saying. I've never had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, here we are uh, on a UCLA sports podcast. We're two and a half minutes. I in. mentioned UCLA. You did. Um, Tracy's talked about typing. Uh, UCLA has its definitely its biggest game so far of this season uh, coming up on Friday against Washington at home. Uh, we didn't going into the year. This was not thought of as a potential uh, game of you know at least game of the first half of the season. Uh, it's now very much shaping up to be one. I do have to say. In my preview, I said Washington was going to be a lot better than everyone was just kind of casting them off, not thinking they were going to be anything. And I, I said they'd be a lot better than everyone thinks. Right. They are even better than that. They are. Um, they are 4-0. Um, they haven't been tested at all um, by 
I won't say it's a great schedule, but it's certainly a better schedule than the one UCLA has played. Um, Michigan and, State, no? Yeah, and don't don't be fooled by the final scores of their games against Stanford and Michigan State, where they won by 18 and 11. Those games were blowouts, um, but Kalen DeBoer has shown, uh, I would say, a Chip Kelly-like propensity for not wanting to step on anyone's throats and make them feel embarrassed. What a guy. Yeah, um, but Michigan State, that was a three- or four-score game at halftime. Uh, Stanford was similar. Um, they've, they've blown these teams out, um, and they looked good doing it. If you've been watching them, uh, the eye test, they're certainly passing it. Um, quarterback Michael Penix looks great, um, and their receiving core is really, really solid. And then defensively, it's not a great defense, but one one thing they can do is rush the passer. Um, even even if you acknowledge that Stanford with their slow mesh is basically inviting sacks, even if you acknowledge that, Washington's edge rush is still very, very good, and their defensive front is really good. The best UCLA's played this year. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be obviously the toughest challenge of the season, but also that. The game by which UCLA can actually change our estimation of them. Um, if they really play well and they beat this team, we're going to have to say, you know, this UCLA team might be pretty good. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. Um, I wrote it in that story uh, yesterday. yesterday. Uh, there are a number of um, results here. Uh Obviously, that could happen. Um, uh, game's close. Washington wins. I think UCLA still gets a little credibility if that happened. Because, I mean, Washington is ranked 15th in the country. Yeah. Uh, it's close. UCLA wins, obviously. Credibility gets ranked for the only the fourth week in Chip Kelly's tenure. He was ranked, uh, The team was ranked three times after it beat LSU uh, last year. And then losses. Uh, well... Blowout loss, I think that would probably make everyone say, see, that's exactly what we suspected of this UCLA team. There are still doubters. I mean, we're doubters a bit. Because it's not that we're doubting Thomas's. It's just because we UCLA needs to prove itself. So, you know, a lot of the nation, a lot of those national prognosticators still have them in their 1 to 30, 131, have them around 40. So that would, if they get blown out, uh, and of course the scenario if UCLA blows out Washington. Uh, so I think those are all the scenarios, and I think it, I think it, it really will give us a way to conclude some things after this game. Um, if you're talking about the things that you're probably the most worried about, the thing that jumps out really is um, I, the biggest mismatch to me is Washington's passing attack against UCLA's passing defense. Wouldn't you say? I mean, that's the one where. So there's a few matchups that I. What I would say is they're not even worth investigating because we know the outcome. Um, and that's one where I feel like we know the outcome. Washington is going to be able to pass the ball against UCLA. Um, we. We've seen a lot worse passing attacks pass the ball against UCLA so far, so it's hard to imagine. Um, the level to which John Humphrey and Azizi Hearn and Devin Kirkwood would have to uh, uh, raise their level to compete with this receiving core and prevent 
you know, Penix from putting up, I don't know, 300 yards passing, it's hard, it strains um, credulity. Uh, th- so that's one where I'm just like, okay, so you got to concede some level of Washington's passing attack. The, the big thing for me is, okay, but can you, with uh, depleted defensive tackle rotation, completely shut down that Washington run game? Because the run game, you know, I, I'm not sold on uh, Wayne Talapapa as, uh, t- as a top-tier uh, running back. He's made some questionable decisions. He's put the ball on the ground a couple of times. Um, but they've been able to generate enough on the ground where I'm – that's more of the thing where you need to stop that because you're – conceding a lot in the passing game like and that's just i think you have to build it into your calculations um and so being really stout up front somehow with a depleted defensive tackle rotation is i think going to be a huge key so uh, probably the most significant significant factor for me in in watching washington is their pass protection yeah that passing attack is so good Because Penix is just sitting back there. I, I don't. There are a lot of times I don't even see anyone within three yards of him, and yeah. he's looking downfield and able to just calmly find his receivers. Um, they have not let uh, yielded a sack. Yeah, he has. He's been sacked everyone zero times. Wow, zero. How is that possible? Now he's he is not by any stretch of the imagination um, a mobile quarterback. Like he's not a runner, but he is. He, he does move around the pocket well. It's not as if teams have gotten zero pressure. They have. He does a good job of changing his platform, moving around. And DeBoer's offense, it's... I love that thing. I, I just... <laughs> he does so much, like, just kind of, like, little clever stuff just to, you know, change the platform or do a little misdirection. There's a, there's a little just razzle-dazzle to the whole thing. Um, and uh, I think it serves to keep, you know, defenses on their heels, um, especially up front. But yeah, I mean, this is a good offensive line. When you watch that offense too, don't you? It's not to me like this is such a great offense. You just say, "Yeah, why doesn't everyone do this? Isn't this obvious?" What? It looks so easy. Like it's not like they're just—it's super intricate. It just looks so easy. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's not, but it just looks that way. Um, and so you end up with a quarterback who last year was averaging 5.8 yards per attempt, is now averaging 9.7. Last year, he threw four touchdowns and seven interceptions. This year, he's at 12 touchdowns, one interception. He didn't change. I mean, he recovered a little bit more from his injury. Uh, what he changed was his system. You know, he went from Indiana's crap, whatever it was, to, you know, back to Kalen DeBoer. And, and, I'm, and I'm still firmly of the belief, you give almost anyone that amount of time, they're going to be good. Yeah, he is good, though. I mean, he, he's he, good. he throws a good, accurate ball. So that's two things. You give anyone that amount of time, they're good, and he's good. Yeah, so he's looking great. Uh, when it comes to the running game, ah, Dave, I just... I, uh, UCLA's run defense has always just not been great mm-hmm. for as long as we can remember. And now that they've lost so much of their interior defensive line, three of their top four guys, I just can't see UCLA shutting down Washington's running game. I can't either. I can't envision it. It would have to go against what prevailing you know opinion that you would take from watching these two teams and knowing that UCLA's down so many guys. So what we're saying here, Tracy, 
just combine our two thoughts, is that UCLA is going to have a devil of a time stopping any real aspect of Washington's offense. Yeah, and that leads me to think, how does UCLA play, uh, remain competitive in this game? And it's going to probably be on the shoulders of the offense that they're going to have to... And control the game. And control uh, the game. That's the thing. Uh, who's going to... Con- which offense is going to control the game? Yeah, because it's going to be it's going to be a lot of dictating tempo, keeping the ball out of the hands of the other team's offense. Because so Washington's defense, um, it's similarly situated to UCLA's defense. I'll say it's a little bit better, but it's similarly situated. They've got a good pass rush. I would say generally their front is pretty good, which I I wouldn't say UCLA's front seven is pretty good, but I would say it's the strength of the defense at this point um, compared to the secondary. Um, but like in an, in an ideal world, UCLA's pass rush is the strength. Washington's pass rush is the strength. Um, and Washington can be had a little bit in the secondary. They're dealing with some injuries as well. Uh, Asa Turner is out, I believe, for this game. Um, and they already had quite a bit of turnover in the secondary. This is an opportunity for Dorian Thompson Robinson, but I think it's going to be an opportunity to the tune of a lot of quick passes outside, put their corners in one-on-one situations, and just have your receivers make plays. Um, and I think that's probably the recipe as essentially an extension of the run game because that's how you're going to control this game. A lot of passes to the outside that turn into seven, eight-yard gains. Um, I think that's the way to um, – because I don't know if you're going to be able to do it up front. I mean, Charbonnet is going to get his carries, but it seems like they're definitely managing his load this year. Um, I don't think they have much interest in running him 25 times. Um so I don't know if you can put it all on his back. Um, I think it's going to have to be a lot of short passing attack to the outside, put their corners who are questionable on islands and just see if your guys can just make plays on them. Um, and then see if that is the way to control, you know, who has the ball more. And, and that's very interesting too, because we've seen so far that if you've watched Washington, they're a big chunk team. They throw the ball down the field. Um, yeah. So they're, they're kind of a quick strike. They don't necessarily, uh, you know, sustain 10-minute drives. Um, UCLA so far this year, it's been interesting, is skewing towards the pass at a 60 to 40% yeah. kind of rate. Uh, they haven't gone over the top much. They, they have, like what you've said, they, they're throwing short. They're throwing, uh, they're throwing wide. Uh, as long as, th- of course, through the seam, which is kind of the bread and butter. Uh, a lot of it is going to have to be UCLA sustaining that passing game down the field and and holding on to the ball and keeping it out of the hands of Washington's offense. Um, if not, I, I, I don't think I don't think either passing defense is going to be able to contain uh the passing offenses. So I, I, I'm a little uh, curious when I've seen some predictions of lower scores. I think I know Bill Conley is just an algorithm, but what did he say? 27 to 24? Something like that? Um, yeah, something like that. I can't see it. I mean, uh, this is like at least a like 40 to 38 game to me. Well, I think the only way... So the way I read it is for UCLA to have a chance... It almost has to be a high-scoring game. Um, I think it has to be a you know back-and-forth affair where they just come out on top. I think it has to be in a shootout. Um, 
a low scoring game it just i i i'm not confident in ucla's ability to generate enough stops um i think i think washington might be able to um you know washington's defense isn't good but they do have a legitimate defensive front um you know they could there could be a series where charbonnet runs into a wall and the gains a yard then dorian tops robinson incomplete pass and then it's third and nine um that could happen quite a bit uh their defensive tackles are really good um so yeah it's it I, I think the only way that ucla um like the 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 successful way for ucla to play this game is like i don't know 38 35 like something like that is what it's going to have to be i think for ucla to come out on top um which is why i think this game is properly properly um set at whatever washington minus three and a half um, I would have them favored because their offense is at worst similar um, and maybe a touch better. Uh, and their defense, I think, is also similar but better. Um, you know, similarly situated, but just better players. I think we have to mention, too, that we're five years in and we're still saying UCLA's defense is suspect. Five years into Chip Kelly's program. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and we're five games in to Washington's program at Kalen DeBoer. And, well, and the, the thing with Connolly's numbers and the advanced stats is they do pro, I mean, and it makes sense for like the analytics and for like how you're assessing games, but if you're doing it with combined with the eye test, UCLA has put up some crazy numbers against some truly terrible offenses um, defensively, which is why it's overrated in a lot of these systems. This is going to be an exposure game. And if it's not, then that's great. That means UCLA's defense is a lot better than we've thought. But this is the absolute litmus test for this defense. And I think you and I, we've, you know, we've banged the drum quite a bit now that we're seeing problems in the defense that aren't necessarily showing up a ton because the teams they're playing against are pretty bad. Um, this game is going to show whether that's accurate or not. Right. So um, for our broadcast listeners we always got to give them a little extra nugget because they're listening right mm-hmm. um dave what's your score prediction that's not coming out until tomorrow till thursday um i'm 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 leaning towards something like uh 42 31 washington 42 31 Okay. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't made it definitive yet. Yeah, but he's still going to work it out. I get it. I get it. I've got it as Washington winning by a couple of scores. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm probably for like, I'd say forty thirty eight. Going to be a close game. Uh, Washington. Who wins? Washington. Okay. So you've got uh, you've got UCLA covering then. Yes. Well, where's the line right now? Two and a half. It was three and a half. I don't know if it's moved back down. Oh. Um. And another little tidbit for good teams. Our, good teams win, Tracy, but great teams cover. Uh, more little tidbits for the broadcast listeners. So uh, we're getting into it now about Chip, Kill, uh, Chip Kelly's job security, um, which is kind of crazy to talk about when the coach is four and zero. Um, but we have to because it's reality. Lately, I've been hearing from from sources around the program that the general feeling is that. Uh, Chip Kelly is pretty secure in his job. That That's kind of the feeling coming out of the UCLA administration. 
now, of course, that's expected that, a, you know, the season doesn't fall off a cliff. Uh, eight and four right now, that would mean they would close the season out at four and four with probably a loss to SC. And just like we've seen with Carl Durrell, with uh, Rick Neuheisel, with just when you get into that at the end and the feeling is that it's over, there's a whole different mindset. So I'm, I'm thinking the sense that around the administration could be different in that scenario. Uh, definitely seven and five. I think they'd have to make a move. But as of right now, that, that's what I'm hearing. It's expected that Chip Kelly will return. Uh, I haven't written a story or made this formal because it's just kind of a lot of little chatter. Uh, <laughs> so since it doesn't really have credibility, I, I, I'm doing it here on the podcast. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry, Dave. That, there's no reflection on you. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm not feeling it. But so there you go. And why that pertains so much, like I wrote in that story, if, of course, nothing happens the way you think it's going to happen. Nothing usually happens even the way you would project a team to be favored or not favored. Um, but you, any way you look at it, this is an important game toward that final record. Uh, it could be the difference between 9-3 and three and 8-4. and four. It could be the difference just between a successful season and not, uh, even without citing um, a record, a final record. So it's it's a pretty there's a there's a lot hinging on on this game. You'd have to say. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a note. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's it's there's a ton on this game. Um, five and zero oh, um, heading into Utah at home would be um, well. That'll probably be a ranked team. Um, I know they're currently only receiving like three votes, but a win over Washington at home would be. Um, a mark of legitimacy and it would be hard to keep a 5-0 UCLA team out of the rankings at that point so you'd probably have ranked on ranked um, against Utah which uh, will be fun and uh, then Oregon the following week the uh, other thing to think about too is Friday night how many people are going to be at that game I will say it's going to be more than uh, the first uh, three home games of the year um, combined? Or? No, not combined. Um, but I think it'll be similar to what it's been in the past, which is like, I don't know, a tight 40, tight 45. Yeah, because if they keep those tarps up, it's it only, only 55, 55 to yeah. 60. Yeah. yeah so and the I plan think, right now is to keep the tarps up. I think they would only decide to take them down if they're getting pre-sale at over 55. Yeah, and that I, I don't see that happening before USC. Um Washington, I think, will be um, – it'll be it, – like, there'll be a legitimate crowd. I don't think it's going to be a disaster. And it's – they're not doing it at 6 p.m. 7.30 makes it a little bit easier. If they beat Washington, you can't see a, a big crowd for Utah? Mm, Utah travel. <laughs> it's a 12.30, so maybe. Um, yeah, well, I, even UCLA, Utah can't get the 4.30 slot. Yeah, I mean twelve thirty is fine. It's yeah. I, I'm I'm just sick of uh, I'm sick of eleven. I never want to see another eleven a.m. game. Twelve thirty, um, it's still painful. I think yeah. for most tailgaters, right? I guess. I mean, it's getting into October now. You're not really dealing with the huge heat. No, it's not heat. It's it's more of just 
games at 4.30. That's an added four hours of... They all get there at about the same time, tailgater. That's an added four hours of settling in, tailgating. Rather so than you get done, there, you eat breakfast, you go to the game. That's about it. That's I haven't done the tailgating scene in six years now. Um, it used to be like a big deal. Like Lot H was going off, popping off. I don't know. Is it... I mean, is it still crazy? Because I've heard some some limited reports. It's not crazy, but I got to tell you, still... A, a lot of um, a real respect for the people who are still out there. Yeah, no, I, I've got hardcore respect for the uh, what I call the the Iron Core, the Mighty Ten Thousand, who still uh, attend these games. Yeah, ton of respect. Yeah. Yes, much respect. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back with some basketball talk. Hoops. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we are back to talk about the start of UCLA basketball practice. (laughs) Tracy Pearson. Dave Uh, Woods. Basketball practice tipped off on Tuesday, September 27th. Um, This is uh, season practice, finally starting. Um... They give them a lot of preseason practice. It's pretty cool because uh, I don't think they have their first. I think their first real game is November seventh, um, so it's a uh, it's a well over a month. And then it's really cool the off season rules now because these guys are basically practicing all the way up until the end of summer too. Yeah, um, doing informal workouts and whatnot. Um, and they can be coach supervised to an extent, right? They can. Uh, it's different than full on practices. It's a lot of short sided games um but they don't i don't think they can really go even five on five um but yeah i mean they're out there they're they're coaching them it's it's pretty good yeah Yeah. but i mean it really started tuesday they get 30 practices before the first game uh so yeah uh everyone must have seen that report that i wrote about the feeling around the program and the feeling uh, about each player. Um, the you know the biggest surprise probably has been Dylan Andrews. Now I saw, I've seen Dylan Andrews play in AU ball probably 
let's say 12 times. Um, had a lot of strengths. He's 6'2", maybe, 6'1", to 6'2". Big kid, big shouldered, you know, solid body. Uh, skills kept getting better over the course of the two years that I watched him. Smart player, uh, knows how to set up his teammates. On defense, worked hard, play hard played hard. Um, I never would have uh, described him as quick or fast. And those are the reports I've been hearing out of the workouts is that, that he's really impressed. And we talked about it before that Mick Cronin said, I think he said fastest, one of the fastest players he's ever coached. Um, and generally, I guess, very impressive on defense too. Uh, to the point, I think that the staff will completely confident in giving him the ball for those backup point guard minutes. Uh, and, and speaking about that, uh, um, Amari Bailey has come off more like a facilitator than a pure, pure, pure scorer. So they're going to have a lot of good ball handlers, uh, offensive facilitator kind of guys, uh, probably on the court at the same time um, with Bailey and Tiger Campbell. Uh, of course, Adembona. Um, the sources I've spoken to just say, oh, how do you describe it? <laughs> That's kind of what they say. He's just a combination of energy and strength and toughness and physicality, just uh, wrapped up into a cute little ball. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, everyone else... Probably about where you would expect uh, Jalen Clark's shot as reportedly improved. I mean, we've reported about this in the offseason before, this kind of thing. Uh, what else, Dave? Um, would I have said that uh, uh, Ken uh, Nwuba has improved to where... Kenneth. Kenneth, sorry. Uh, feel more confident with him getting back up point. Uh, sorry, post minutes. The two guys who were still not 100% full go, uh, Will McClendon and Mac Eddian, from what I've heard, uh, Will is is looking pretty good, closer to being cleared. Both of them will probably have a little ramp-up period in those first several games of just getting used to playing college basketball, since Will McClendon has never done it um, and then been hurt. Uh, Mac Eddian is probably slower to coming back just in everything, in his body, in coming back from his injury, his body, everything, which is a great reason why they potentially have another post coming in. In Ege? Sure. Ege. Love it. You know, you say a dem, mm -hmm. so we'll say a gay. A gay. Right? A gay. A gay demir. Love it. Um, 6'10, 230, big. Physical, plays hard, real type of Mick Cronin kid. Uh, it was released out there that he had verbally committed to UCLA, and then we followed up with a report that he had not been admitted into UCLA yet. We could probably hear about that fairly soon, um, if he is admitted. Uh, maybe there's a thing where his admittance is delayed a little. Uh, there's a few little things that still have to be taken care of on that front. Um, but overall, you got to like the composition of this team. Of course, there was another Euro player. Uh, again, 
pronunciation, Dave. Burke Bayungtesel? Bayungtesel. You crushed it. I should just go with it once and not then try to improve. Um, who wasn't admitted uh, to UCLA. And, uh, you know, that will naturally piss off anyone, right? Where you want to go and then you find out you're not admitted. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, I'm not going to say he could come at a later date or a later time or next year. I'm just saying there's a, always a possibility if you maintain that relationship that something else could eventually happen there. Um, but uh, you've got to be excited about basketball. This is, uh, you have two extreme veterans, hyper veterans in Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell. I don't, I don't know if you'd want, if there's any other team that you'd want, if you're talking about duos, any other team in the country that you that you'd take a duo over these two guys. When was the last time UCLA had a fourth, a single fourth year player um, as good as Jaime or Tiger? Darren Collison. Yeah, God, I'd have to think. Yeah, a lot of guys who were this good didn't make it to their senior years. Well, that's the thing is you've got it's what we've been talking about basically since they arrived on campus. But you have almost a perfect storm with those types of players because they're good enough to be really good and be the best players on a very, 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 very good team. But they're not obvious NBA guys. Um, And that's benefited UCLA considerably in this case. You know, Jaime may have been a fringe, you know first second rounder this year but not enough for him to want to leave um and tiger's you know not really an nba prospect um having those guys around for to to, to accumulate this level of experience at ucla and having them around i mean it's uh, people keep talking about it but it's worth you know uh, it's it's similar in a sense to what ucla had going into 95 um and we'll see if that magic comes together but there's there's a ton of in- returning experience and talent in just those two guys. And, and that brings us always back to that same argument. And it always rages on the, on the forum. Um, because you and I are just an extreme advocate of the three to four year guys. I mm-hmm. asked you, how many in, on a roster of 13 scholarship players would you want to be three to four year guys? And you said 13? <laughs> Minimum of 10. Minimum of 10. Because right now, if you're looking at this team, yes, uh, Adembona, Amari Bailey, that's critical to them being ranked highly but preseason. But without Tiger Campbell or Jaime Jaquez, it's just, <laughs> you know, Jalen Clark. Uh, these are three to four year guys that are the backbone of the of the team. And I just think, you know, there's been a little bit of criticism of UCLA taking Brandon Williams, uh, the two Williamses, in fact. And I'm, I'm just, this is what, over the course of our time doing this job, these are the guys. Yeah. These are, not only are the guys that stay longer and contribute more, um, they're the guys you can really, really root for. You know, Jaime Hawkes and Tiger Campbell, are there two guys that are have endeared themselves more to you by their senior seasons? Just yeah. Aaron Aflalo, Darren Collison? 
I, I can't think of two other guys. And it, it changes the whole experience of when you're watching them play and they're not just mercenaries. They're not one and done guys or they're not just transfers. Um, even though nothing against it, but you just are more invested in Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell. Yeah. Um, so it's the, it's the lifeblood of, of college basketball, lifeblood of college football. Um, and when we're all talking about we're on, we're on the brink of a new era, absolutely true. But there will always be these guys. Uh, with NIL and whatever, there's still going to be the Jaime Hawkeses and Tiger Campbells. And, and what's great about this basketball staff is they absolutely, 100% recognize it. So, yeah. so good on them. And it makes it makes the future of UCLA basketball very exciting, and it makes it so much more watchable, and you invest so much more. For sure. And you know this this year, I think it's going to be good in two respects. First, they're going to be really good. Um, you know, they're going to have it's you know at minimum eleven scholarship guys. Potentially, if if Demir comes in, they'll have twelve. Um, it's a pretty full roster. Um, they might miss a little bit of shooting, but. You know, if you've got enough facilitators on a team, it can actually make your shooting look a little bit better than it actually is because you're getting more open shots. Um, but we're also going to see, on top of it being good, we're going to see, you know, what is that new core going to look like? Because I don't think either of us are at this point anticipating Tiger Campbell or Jaime Hawkes returning for what would be their final years of eligibility thanks to COVID rules. I know, that's amazing. Um, so, you know, what does... You know, does Jalen Clark look like a guy who can shoulder the load and be the new Jaime next year? Does, you know, does a guy like Will McClendon look like he can be a contributing guard to the level that uh, David Singleton was, right? Um, so this is going to provide, hopefully this year will provide some of that insight about, okay, what's this next generation going to look like for Cronin's teams? Because he's he's had continuity now. Um, through yes. four years, um, having Jaime and Tiger as starters basically the entire way through. So, what's it going to look like when they're no longer here? Um, and will that be a you know will it look different? And are these guys ready to perform at that level? You know, will Dylan Andrews be ready to run the show? Um, all that kind of stuff is going to be it's going to be really fun to I think pay attention to that while we're also watching you know Jaime and Tiger play thirty five a night and you know put up. Pac-12 National Player of the Year type numbers. That's something else, a couple of things you need to keep in mind. Um, this is going to be Mick Cronin's first time where he might have upwards of seven players that have not, well, I mean, let's throw in Mac, seven players that have not played, you know, from Dylan Andrews. And you know what? We forgot to mention Abraham Ozanka too. Yeah. He's, he's looked good in practice. They've really been encouraged, I think, by the reports I've heard that he plays defense, willing to play hard, has a high motor, can shoot pretty well, but but like him defensively and how hard he plays. So, but you got you got a lot of new guys. I mean, Mick has always been able to rely on, you know, the guys he his guys, right? That he's had for years. This is going to be very interesting to see what new guys get into his inner circle here, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and then the other thing I'm really excited about. If I'd have to say that the thing that's hurt, that's just has dis- disappointed me over the course of Mick Cronin's uh, tenure, it's just the level of defense. I'm just a defensive guy. I want to see, I want to see just 
great on-ball defense. Guys who can't, who are shutting down people off the dribble. Uh, you, you know, just great rotations, block shots. And I think this team, it might not, it might start off a little slower because you have some new pieces, but it could end up to be Cronin's best defensive team. And I'm very excited about that. I'm going to throw out a no question it will be. Um, okay. So right now, <clears throat> if you track the Ken Palm numbers, um, so here's how the defense has gone from year one to year uh, three. So they were 112th year one, Oof. 46th in year two, and 16th last year. Uh, That's amazing they were 16th last year. I didn't feel that from them. No, and it, what it was is they weren't elite at any one quality, but they were pretty good at a lot of different stuff. So they were pretty good rebounding. They were pretty good at forcing turnovers. They were pretty good at not fouling, and they were pretty good at contesting shots. You, you got it. We talk a lot about coaching and overachieving. Given the components on that team last year, that's really that's really doing something to turn that team into a good defensive team. Well, I think what it was is last year I wouldn't. I, I, I'm sure I did in like minute instances, but I wouldn't have criti- uh, critiqued the effort too much. Like even Johnny Juzang was much, much more bought in to defense last year than he was the previous year. And that's not to say he was like, you know, 100% bought in all the time. But clearly there's a there's a there was a culture uh, that's yeah. been built around. OK, do your job um, on defense, even if you're not, you know, necessarily a great athlete. But who was <laughs> who, who would you say were? was a great defender miles but, johnson okay miles johnson and, and jalen clark. clark yeah um i think jaime jaime when he was um unimpeded by the ankles uh there was that one game against arizona where he was just like a whirling dervish and was um you know he, he was i think he blocked um coloco on point but he was doing crazy stuff in that game an underrated defender too is uh tiger campbell i think yeah, yeah, I think he is. Um, I think he's prone to some inattention at times, and I think also conserving energy on the defensive end. But when he's really engaged in it, yeah, I think he can be um, he can be a real harassing force on defense. But to your point, um, the athleticism on this team is going to be at a different level, and not even just on the team, but on the second unit too. Um, they've got some some guys who can really move, um, and if if the reports about Andrews' quickness are correct. Um, that's a that's a that's that's a real asset. A uh, lot of it was just his ability to get up the court <laughs> with the ball in his hand, too. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's the other thing: good defensive team that leads to more transition scoring. Exactly. Which Mick Cronin's been trying to get done in three years, and has then settled into a, an approach in most games that didn't lead to a lot of transition scoring. Maybe this year. Yeah. You know, Mick, uh, just go with what you got. So last year, last year was about the tempo I would like him to play forever. So last year, <laughs> they were 277th in tempo. Um, the previous two years, they were glacial. They were 341st and then 325th. But last year, about 65 possessions adjusted tempo. That's fine. You don't need to do much more than that. I, I, I think they got a little out over their skis at the beginning of last year, and it led to some weird games and weird outcomes. I think you got to know who you are, and I think for him, um, he's a controller. 
he wants to control that um and i think when he doesn't it's it's actually it's diminishing one of his assets as a coach well um, i think what they did is they tried it yeah and it didn't and work it, and it was kind of a mess yeah it was a mess yeah. but i think it's a mess because one of the like mick has never okay one year at murray state i think literally his first year at murray state they had a that was his only year as a coach where they had a top 200 tempo ever. Um, and it's been 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years of being a slow tempo team. Just go with what brung you. You don't need to do anything different. Don't do not do the Howland thing I'd where you're suddenly like, being top like, 150. You don't need to be. I'd still like a handful of more transition baskets. It would, it would make it easier. But, Fine, but I, I wouldn't get out of the 200s. Still be a walk-it-up team most of the time. If you're not getting it off of a missed shot, walk it up. There doesn't need to be running out of inbounds. Gotcha. I'm, 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 I, this, is my, this is my hill, and I will die on it, Tracy. <laughs> I'm just picturing you on that hill. Yeah, no, it just be, be who you are. And it's, there's no style points in winning games. Okay. All right. Um... Okay, well, I think I'm... Email I, Yarbs. Yeah, email Yarbs. Well, I'm, I, I think that was an efficient podcast, Tracy. Very efficient. We're at about, what, 40-something minutes. So proud of 43 us. 43 minutes. We, we, we brought it in. I we, think when we go over, people just say, they glaze over. wrap this up. Please. Yeah. 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 All right, well, um, everybody enjoy the game on Friday. Um, I think it'll be fun to actually watch a game that uh, you can see on a real network. Um Maybe if you go to the Rose Bowl, there will actually be fans in the stands. I think there's lots of reasons to be excited about this game itself. I think it's going to be fun to watch. First game of the year. First real game of the year. (laughs) South Alabama, sorry, but this is the first real game of the year. Uh, So have fun. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. We will talk to you again next time. See you guys. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.